promise to you that I would bring you that are verses that have stuck to me. Well, I got a lot of them, but verses that have always stuck to me. Uh, God's given to me. And, and as far as those verses uh, that we just sang, that uh, song, when you, when you memorize verses like that throughout the day, it comes back and, and it, it soothes you, it helps you, and it brings back to your memory God's, God's word. Uh, so in Psalm 50 and verse 14, it says, Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay your vows unto the Most High. And then it says over in 23, it says, Whoso offers praise glorifies me. And to him that orders his conversation aright, I will show the salvation of God. Two verses have to do with praising God, with stopping what you're doing, and basically focusing on God's greatness. I sometimes will forget that. I'll do it in the mornings. Uh, but a lot of times, God will remind me in the heat of the day, and I don't mean the hot like the hot sun, but in the heat of the problems at work mostly, He brings uh, to my memory the fact that I need to stop, I need to give thanks, and I need to praise Him for who He is. Because that brings things into perspective. And for me lately, I definitely need it. Because I've been completely overwhelmed with my job. Um, basically, I'm going to confess to God that it's overwhelming me, consuming me. Uh, you know those things when it's always in your mind and you can't even enjoy other things because it's always back there, things you've got to do. Um, and God reminds me at times, okay, you know, stop, uh, refocus. Another one that God's given me uh, on, on my desk, my wife bought for me because I actually writ, wrote it on a piece of paper like this. And I tacked it to the wall in front of my computer in my bedroom, which is uh, be still and know that I'm God. That means stop what you're doing. Don't go another step. Don't think about anything else. Don't do anything else. But consider the fact that he's God and he's in control. So things like these will always remind you. Um, but in the same chapter, I gave you another verse, verse 21. It says, These things have you done. And I kept quiet, or I kept silence. You thought I was altogether such a one as yourself. Basically saying, you thought I was like you. But I'm going to reprove you and set them in order before your eyes. God's saying, you know, be careful, because sometimes we think, well, God, we think this is what God wants. But we fool ourselves. Because God's saying, you thought I was like you. You thought I thought like you. I don't think like you. And you need to understand that God will reprove us when our thinking, our motives, are not in line with His. He will reprove us. He will find a way. He makes a way to reprove us. Uh, sometimes in a moment, all of a sudden I'll turn up. There it is on the radio. Or somebody will say something to me as I go, that came from God. He doesn't even know it. So be careful to think that God thinks like us and we have... The, the right mentality what we have to do is go to him and say you know God I need to think like you and if right now my thoughts aren't I need you to correct me I need you to find to me <clears throat> to where I'm just like where you want me to be in uh, Psalm 69 a little bit further it goes on I believe it's the same premise of praise 69, 30, and 32. Uh, Psalm 69, verses 30 and 32. <clears throat> it says here, I will praise 
the name of God with a song. And I will magnify him with thanksgiving. That magnify means I'll make him bigger than my problems. Magnify means that I'm not going to simply give him a small portion of my life. Magnify is when something is so huge, so up front and center in your life that you can't see around it. And a lot of times that's what our problems are, troubles or situations. Uh, they'll get to where it's so big, so huge in front of us that we can't see around it. Everything is about how do I resolve this problem? How do I get away from this mess? And lately my job has become that. But, uh, you know, it's true that it can be a trial. A trial to see, well, what am I going to do about it? How am I going to handle this? And will I go to God or will I try to solve it myself? And so again, you know, God allows those adversities in our lives to where we're so overwhelmed that we have no ability to fix it ourselves and it forces us to go to God. So in verse 30, again it says, uh, I will praise the name of God with a song. I'll magnify him with thanksgiving. That's what we just did. We're learning songs so that in our heart it sings a melody to God. This also shall please the Lord. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox bullock that has horns and hoofs. The humble shall see this and be glad, and your heart shall live, and your heart shall live that seek God. Your heart will live if you seek God. If you seek God in praise and thanksgiving, you're grateful for what He's done. No matter what, even in the hard times, because it, and I told my wife this in the car, I said, I believe all these problems and troubles will come to us, and it comes to me daily, so that I am not happy where I am on purpose. Some people wrongly say, well, God wants us to be happy, right? Well, not necessarily. Because our heart's desire, in, in Matthew, he taught us that our treasure should be with him. Like not treasures for yourself on the earth when moth and rust does corrupt, where thieves break through and still. It can corrode, it can get rusted, corroded, or somebody can take it from you. But he said, put your treasure, what you really, really want, in heaven. And so, if we're so happy here, we're not thinking of God, we're not thinking of heaven, we're content here. But God is faithful to us to make us understand what's going on around us, open our eyes, not live in some la-la land, see the reality of the world we live in, so that we can desire to be with Him and go to heaven. There's nothing greater. There's nothing that should be our greatest desire than to be with Him, to be there. This world is full of, if you haven't been uh, through enough yet, seen enough, um, as life goes on, you will. Unfortunately, some people turn to drugs, alcohol, crime, self-destruction, cutting themselves, um, selling themselves, all kinds of evil to try and escape or to get back at somebody, and all they're doing is sinking themselves instead of thinking, you know what, this world sucks, and what I really should desire is to be with God. So that's why he's saying your heart shall live that seek God. Because if you don't seek God, this world will overcome you, will consume you, will destroy you. Situations will come. Satan will see to that. People will see to that to make your life miserable because they hate you, they want to destroy you, they're, they're jealous of you or envious or whatever, or they're just plain mean. And you live long enough, it'll happen. And so instead of 
being discouraged in your heart and doing like some people do, self-destruction and finally suicide, uh, the Bible says if you seek God, your heart will live. You will overcome that. You will move on. You'll not be overcome by the circumstances. And it will please God more than anything if you praise Him. That's what He wants from us. Remember, He created us to be with Him, to worship Him. That's what Satan wants to take away from us. Satan told Jesus, I'll give you all this stuff that you'll simply bow down and worship Him. Well, that's what Satan wants. He wants you to worship Him or whatever is in proxy of God. So understand how important, valuable praise is to God and to yourself. A lot of times I'll be going down the road and I'll say, God, help me to praise you. Fill me with your spirit to praise you and to, and to uh, worship you because I need it more than anything else. Because when you're in that frame of mind, um, everything becomes bigger about God than your problem. That's why he says, I will magnify the Lord in my praise. I will magnify the Lord in thanksgiving. It means you'll make it bigger and in its right place more than anything else. Uh, 116, uh, Psalm 116. Is that one Psalm 116. Psalm 116 or Psalm 116? Yeah, 116. Okay. Psalm 116. My bad. <laughs> no, it's all good. I just want to make sure it wasn't. <laughs> one verse 16. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, one, uh, 116 and verses 12 and 13. So there's a question. What shall I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? He's like, you know, what am I going to give God? He's been so good to me. I, and this is the answer. Some people say, well, I'm going to do this for God. I'm going to do for that. that God doesn't need to do it. He created everything. Everything is His. So He doesn't need you to do anything. He needs you to accept what He's done for you. Which is opposite. It's counterintuitive. Because people say, I'm going to, David said, I'm going to build God. I'm not ready to sleep. I'm going to build God this, this place because he's, he, he's, we've got this, this tent out there outside the camp. And God said, did I ask you to make me a temple? Did I ask you to make me a cathedral? I don't live in places made with hands. I've, I've been with you in a humble place in a tent. The, the tent of reunion, the tent of gathering uh, in the wilderness. I don't need that. And so the, the question is asked, what shall I render unto God for all of his benefits to? This is what he says. I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. He says, what God wants me to do is not to do something for him. What God wants me to do is accept what he's done for me. You know, if I buy somebody a gift and I say, man, I, I want to do this, and I give it to them, and they, they're looking at me like, I don't want that, I don't need that, and shove it aside. That's a tremendous insult and offense. What God wants to do is, I did this. Uh, uh, every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning or change. God never changes. He says every good gift comes from above. So when he does this, and he gives you something, he wants you to accept it. And the greatest gift of all is his salvation, his love that he gave us on the cross. He wants us to accept his salvation. He says, I will. He says, I will take the cup of salvation. That's the first thing that he says, what can I do since God has been so good to me? Simply take it. Simply accept it. God's been so good to me. What can I do for him? Accept what he gives you. Accept the salvation, number one, that he gave you because he... If without that, you're lost and you've rejected God. And then he says, he says, and I will call upon his name. He says, I will look to him. I will call him. I will praise him. I will, I will demonstrate my need for him in calling upon him. 
And, and there's another place in another psalm that I won't find today, but it says some people think what good is there in prayer? That's an evil thing. What good does it do to pray but praying that God doesn't answer? Well, you don't know God didn't answer. Or maybe your heart isn't right. God's like, well, you know, before you get what I'm what you need, you're you're all messed up. You need to get things right. And so God is saying the first thing that I need you to do for me is not something for me, but to receive what I've already done for you. And that's to accept me as your Savior and then begin to have that fellowship with me, call on me, praise me, okay? Finally, the last thing I promised you was Ecclesiastes 7.29. Ecclesiastes 7.29. And it says this, lo, or look, or behold, or take, be aware of. When you see lo, it says, hey, listen, pay attention to this, look at this. This only have I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought many inventions. In the Spanish, the word is used, perversions, twisted, perverted things. God made man right. And man has twisted everything else. So we look around the world and we think, well, well, God created the world, yeah, but all this craziness, this evil that's in the world, that's man. Man rebelled against God. Man uh, rejected God. And now man has perverted. When you think of a perversion, a perversion is a twist of what something is supposed to be. Uh, a twist of what something is supposed to be, for instance. Uh, a screwdriver is not supposed to be used as a hammer. Okay? There's a purpose, a design for the screwdriver. There's a purpose and a design for the hammer. Man has been made a certain way. Woman has been made a certain way. The things of earth have been... But men twist everything around. God created one man, one woman. A man's got to have ten wives, uh, or ten whatever, or another guy, or five guys. It's all jacked up. God made it right, men are going to add to or take away to twist the, the design that God created. Uh, God made man a man, they want to become a woman. God made man a woman, a woman, she wants to become a dude. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's all jacked up. You know, God made man right. Give man the ability to choose and to do things because God wants you to choose and love him because you want to and you choose to. The fact here, a verse that we've talked about before, that, yeah, God created everything, but man is the one that is messing everything up, perverting it. So be careful. Blessed is a man that walks not in the counsel of God, that understands in the way the sinner sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day, there day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. But the ungodly are not so, because the ungodly are like the chaff which the wind drives away. For the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, or sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Someone. Don't follow the advice, counsel of the ungodly. It blows away like chaff. Follow God's word, and you shall be like that tree planted by that river of water that's deep-rooted, and it will not perish. It will not dry up. It will not become infested with bugs and fall over and be perished because it is planted by the rivers of water. If you're planted by the rivers of waters of God and He's feeding you, He's feeding your head, He's feeding your heart, He's feeding your mind, 
He's feeding everything about your life. You will walk right. You start listening to people that are not walking with God, no matter how good it sounds, you will go wrong. Let's look at Revelation chapter 7, close that up. And we'll go right into Revelation 8. <clears throat> so in a review here, we see that God chooses, sets apart 144,000 Jewish men. And we know they're men because later on in chapter 14, he describes it even further. They're Jewish men. He sends them out as evangelists in the world to tell people about Jesus, about Christ, during the time of the tribulation when men are dying. Men are being beheaded for the cause of Christ. <coughs> Where men are turning away from Christ, receiving the mark of the beast, and con being condemned for eternity. It's time to choose. In the Old Testament, Moses stood before the people. said, you choose? Choose. Blessing and life or cursing and death. If you choose God and blessing, this is what you receive. And he goes off into a list. But if you choose to walk away from God, this is the curse that you will receive in the death. And he begins to uh, rehearse in their ears what the curses will mean. And the evils and the problems and the plagues and everything else. Later on, Elijah does the same thing. Elijah, the people are worshiping Baal and, and Ashtaroth and everything else in the sun that's evil. And he sets a challenge up on Mount Carmel and he says, okay, choose. Choose this day. Choose. And so he sets up the, the, the offering, the, the, um, the uh, what do you call it, the sacrifice over here. And he tells the worshipers of Baal to do theirs and they're chanting and calling on their false god and nobody's answering. Elijah says, now God, show them who God is. And I'm paraphrasing. And he sets everything up, and he douses it in water so nobody can think there was anything that was you know, not miraculous. And the Bible says that they didn't light the fire. God sent fire from heaven. Here comes this whoosh. Licks up everything. The sacrifice, the wood, dries up and licks up the water. Everything. And the people realize, Jehovah is God. Choose. Joshua said the same thing in the famous verse. Uh, Choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of, you know, way back on the other side. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Famous verse. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. So choose. God throughout the Bible is putting in front of you a choice. You have a choice. God doesn't want you to be with Him uh, because you're forced to. God wants you to be with Him because you choose to from your heart. And so every day, God puts a choice. He puts blocks and barricades and, and temptations and trials to say, what will you choose? Sometimes we fail. And we have to go back to God and have to confess, hey man, I really messed this up. But every day, God puts choices in front of you. What will you choose? Which way will you go? Uh, in my house, in my life, I have chosen to keep myself from a lot of things because I'm just like anybody else. So I choose. I choose to go home. I choose to not hang around with people or after work go with them to some club or some this. No, I don't want to. I don't want, I want to go home. I work hard so that I can have a house to go to. I work hard 
So I have my own bed, I have my own couch, I have a roof over my head, I want to go home. I don't want to hang around with you guys, work-wise. I don't want to be anywhere with you guys, I don't want to, you know, I just go home. I choose, because I hear what they get into. I hear the stuff that they do. They talk about it at work, I'm like, I don't want to do that, I don't want to be with them. If I do go somewhere, uh, at a certain meeting or something like that, like maybe they have a certain uh, event, like they do every year, there's, a, there's a, a, um, a buffet that they give us and I'll take my wife with me. But I don't hang around with them and drink and you know shoot the breeze with them, I don't want to, I choose. You need to choose every day. You make choices every day. We all do. So here, these people have been sealed of God. They're out there uh, telling people about God. In heaven, we see... Uh, then in verses 9 and uh, through, uh, through uh, 13, uh, people in heaven worshiping God, glorifying God, a number that's immense number. And, and they're all praising God and attributing to God everything that is rightfully His. And the angel comes to John and asks, man, who are these people? And he says, I don't know, you know. He says, they're the ones that came through the tribulation. These are the ones that through the tribulation... The ones that these Jewish uh, evangelists were preaching and these people were getting saved. That's who they are. God chose these people during this time of the tribulation to be a witness. And people are getting saved. They're turning to God. They're turning away from the mark of the beast. They're turning away from worshiping the Antichrist and the lies that are being perpetrated in society. And where do they find themselves? They find themselves in heaven. Where do these Jewish evangelists find their converts? In heaven. Where are your converts? Where are the people that you influence? Where are the people that you have been a, a model to or an influence to? Where do you leave people? What legacy from God will you leave people behind you? Are they going to follow God because of you? Or are you going to push them somewhere else? The same goes with me. The same goes with me. You're not in the tribulation. You're here. So in this time, you're the person God has endowed, ordained to be a witness for Him. And so how many people will go to heaven because of you? How many Christians will look at your example like, you know, I, I, I want to be like that. I don't want to go off in the wrong direction. How many people do you influence for the kingdom of God? You're not in the tribulation. You better thank God for that. But you're in a time where we're leading into the tribulation. People are now receiving the lies that are around them in society. The government being the biggest proponent of the lies. The, the, woke, uh, uh, the woke group and everybody else talking about well, we have to go this route. And, and they're turning people away from God. Where are you turning people to? Where? Because they have a social agenda. We're supposed to have a heavenly agenda. They have a worldly uh, purpose and agenda and direction. We are the ones that are supposed to be pointing people to the kingdom of heaven. They want social justice so-called on this earth. There is no such thing. God wants righteousness that is only given by Jesus Christ through the cross. Because none of us are right. They talk about their justice, their evil. They've turned from God. They've rejected the God of heaven. They have put men first before God 
and they say that they're right and we're wrong. They say that they're right because uh, we're intolerant of homosexual, lesbianism, and everything else, that God calls a perversion of his creation, and they say that we have hate speech. God says they're evil, they're perverse, and they have rejected Almighty God and his ways. So who are you an influence for? Where will the people that follow you go, or that look to you and you influence? Now, so he says in verse 14, Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night. Who is in heaven because of you? And, and he that sits on the throne shall dwell among them. The people of the earth do not want God to dwell among them. They reject him. They are um, irritated with him. And so it says here, And they shall hunger no more, nor thirst any more, nor shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb, which is Jesus, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all the tears. All the troubles are over. Now, that's what's happening in heaven. Now, verse or chapter 8, now let's look at what's happening on earth. Do you guys remember when we were talking about in Revelation 6, how the people that had been martyred on the earth were asking God, how long will it be until you avenge us? When will you avenge us for what they did to us on the earth, for shedding our blood, for, for, for killing us? When are you going to? He said, just wait a little while. The time has come. Now the time comes. While these guys are in heaven enjoying the presence of Almighty God and the angels and all that we can't even begin to describe that's up there, this is what's happening on earth. Chapter 8. And when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of, a, uh, of an hour, excuse me, half hour. Why would heaven be... There's all this, this joy, here's all this praise, here's all these accolades toward God, and all of a sudden everything goes quiet. Quiet before the storm. Dead silence. Nothing moves. It's an anticipation of what's about to come. It's going to be so horrendous. There's like this law. God wants to probably, I don't know, but it seems like it wants to ex accentuate what's about to happen. Instead of all this ruckusness, it's like quiet. He wants everyone in heaven. The Everything is quiet. Nobody says a word. Nobody. It, nothing is nothing is stirring. Everybody's quiet because of anticipation of what's about to happen. And now it begins to happen. And I saw the seven angels that stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. They're about to use those trumpets to announce. If you know anything about the military, uh, they would use trumpets because it would sound a long way. The Jews used the horn of the ram with a shofar to announce, and certain things would, would certain notes would mean things. Uh, first, I think it's First Corinthians chapter uh, fourteen. It talks about those people who are talking in tongues. Well, they don't even know what they're talking about because tongues means languages, and every sound has a distinct meaning. Uh, if you don't speak Japanese, there are a bunch of rumbling noise to you. You understand, but to the Japanese, who understand that language. Every sound, every vowel syllable means something. Okay, and so now they're about to put their their uh, trumpets to their mouth and begin to blow, just like reveille or retreat in the battle, where you can't hear what people are saying because of the noise. 
the trumpet would sound or the bugle would sound and they would announce okay it would announce you know hey do we need to advance do we need to retreat do we need to regroup and so these people are are about to hear the sound of these trumpets announcing what's about to come and another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer that means this this container where they put incense in and they would shake it so they would it would smell and it would give the aroma and there was given unto him much incense that he would offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the altar upon the golden altar which was before the throne so our prayers to God are like a sweet incense if you've ever been around incense some incense is horrible other incense smells really great. It fills the entire house with an aroma of maybe cinnamon and uh, anise and other just exotic uh, scents that you're like, oh, this is really, or vanilla or something that's really, really, uh, really calming and soothing and helps you. Well, here's this aroma, and our prayers are like incense to God. It goes up like this, this incense uh, smoke that is very, very, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, awesome or pleasant. And it says, In the smoke of the incense which came up with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. So here's all these prayers that these people were praying. Among them are the prayers of his people asking, Lord, when will you avenge us? When will you avenge us, O God? You know what that is? It's praise. Because it's saying, you are the one that is my deliverer. You are my redeemer. I don't have any help apart from you. When you look to God, alone to Him, it is notifying Him and notifying everyone around you and your own heart, I, my help is in God. My help is in God. And it says, uh, and the smoke of the incense which came up with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And here it goes. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it under the earth. And there were voices. What were they saying? Only God knows. I don't know. And thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. That means God is shaking the earth. God is showing, I'm not happy with you guys. I'm very angry here. These are things that strike fear into the heart of men, especially when you got earthquake and lightnings and thunders and you hear these voices and you know what's happening. You know there's big trouble. And the seven angels which stood, which had, which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. This basically means they put their trumpets to their mouth. In Spanish it says they prepared themselves, so they put their trumpets to their mouth, and they're ready to sound. And the first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. Remember that they were asking for vengeance? And now the saints are praying and the incense is going before God. This is the answer. And, and there followed hail. Ever been in a hailstorm? If you've never been in a hailstorm, it's horrendous. Um, I mean, if you've been in one, I've been in one out in the south, in, in the Carolinas, where it's coming down. And it's, if you're in the car, you're thinking, oh, crud, man, it's going to break the glass. It's going to come through the windshield. It's just pelting you. Uh, there have been cars that have been damaged. You can't sell them anymore because they're just pelted full of dents from this hail coming out of heaven uh, and is landing everywhere. 
And so here there's hail and fire mingled with blood. And they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of the trees were burned up. And all the green grass uh, was burned up. So no more going to the park. Everything is a fire-scalding, ashed mess. And the second angel sounded. Here's one after the other. You think you have problems one after the other. Here's one judgment after the other. The second angel, as it were, a great mountain. Excuse me. And the second angel sounded. And as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. What does that mean? A great mountain burning with fire. That to me brings a depiction of this meteor coming from the heavens. And as it's breaking through the atmosphere, it's on fire. Uh, you, you've, I'm sure you've heard of the, uh, the astronauts and the, uh, the, the, uh, the vehicles they go through. They have to have certain heat shields as they break through and they're coming in into the atmosphere. It's causing great heat. Well, here, this, is, this mountainous asteroid or comet is coming through the heavens, crashes through the atmosphere, and then lands in the sea. And what happens? Uh, it's cast to sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. It destroys a third of the, of the creatures in the sea, and the blood is now mixed with the water. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. How were the ships destroyed? Well, if a mountainous meteor like that hits the ocean, it causes mega waves, mega tsunamis, mega tidal waves, and these ships just bowl over. They're just Can you imagine hitting the middle of the sea and all the ships in that area or the, the vicinity areas are destroyed. They're capsized and then sunk into the sea. And all the men that are in them and the women and everything else are into the bottom of the ocean. They're gone. There's nothing you can do to escape it if you're in the sea. And now the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven. Here's another one burning. Now, this says a great star. Now, this is bigger than a mountain. This is this huge meteor comet coming to the earth, burning as it were a lamp. It is so red hot. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers. Well, here's one. How is it falling on these rivers? Well, when it comes through the, through the atmosphere, if you've seen it, once it hits the atmosphere, it's like hitting water. It breaks up, and all these little meteors and rocks and pellets just sunk everywhere. Just <laughs> so if you're in the way, you're you're dead. And so now here's this big meteor, this big star coming. A star is these heavenly bodies. It hits, it smacks the atmosphere because it's coming that fast. It's like some people think, well, if I jump off the uh, the uh, Golden Gate Golden Gate Bridge into the the ocean below me, I'll live because I'm jumping in the water. No, at that altitude. When you hit the water, it's like hitting concrete. You die. You just are busted up. Okay. Yeah. If you've ever done a belly flop, anybody ever do a belly flop from the from the high dive? Yeah. And you're like walking around, oh, you're all about. You think you're you, you, all the winds out of you. You're all red. You're all hurt. And you're like, oh. Can you imagine? That's only from maybe ten feet or so. Can you imagine from the heavens coming in? It crashes into our atmosphere. And now it breaks up and all these other meteors are striking the rivers and the seas and everything around it. And it's poisonous because it's got chemicals and minerals from whatever's happening in, in space. It says, and as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood or basically um, poisoned. And many men died of the waters. You start drinking that stuff, you're going to die because they were made bitter, unpalatable, or excuse me, unpotable. 
you can't drink it. So the animals and the men that are drinking the water that's been contaminated with this are dying. The, the rivers now, the fishes and everything around them that feeds the ecology around them, it's dying. And so you're looking at this catastrophe on earth. These guys are talking about, oh, we're green this and green that, and we're going to green this, and God's going to burn it all up. It doesn't matter what they do. It's more fuel for the fire. Yeah. It doesn't matter what they're doing. Oh, you know, save the trees and save it. God's going to destroy every bit of it. Uh, the electric cars, God's going to destroy it all. So you can forget about, you know, Greenpeace and, you know, uh, Earth Day and all that. God's going to destroy everything. He's furious. Furious. He's, he's wrathful. And it says here, and the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. So the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not. For a third part of it, and the and, uh, and the night likewise. So now God's not only affecting the world around us; He's affecting the heavens, the heavens that give us light, the heavens that give us. A solar activity so that the ecology remember the first thing that God created when he's creating all this stuff was the Sun let there be light he put those things first now he's just he's he's taking a part of the way if you don't have light you don't have photosynthesis if you've studied biology in school you don't have photosynthesis and photosynthesis is what makes these plants grow and get nourished and nutrients and there's no vitamin D coming through through to your life and there's not no photosynthesis so that the animals or whatever you're eating or the plants have the photosynthesis that creates the vitamin D. And so now life is dying. He's, he's affected the heavens and the earth. And it's affecting everyone. There's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere that you can go to escape. Nowhere. And he says, And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe. Whoa, that's three more judgments to come um, to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are about yet to sound. He's saying, if you think that's bad, it's going to get worse. Much worse. you praying for the hail again. Yeah, it's going to be really, really even worse than before. God is bringing judgment upon them. They shed the blood they destroyed, they rejected God, they killed his people, and the people of God were praying, and instead of these people repenting and turning to God, God's going to answer the, the prayers of his saints and bring the vengeance on the earth, his wrath, his judgment. And so we look at a world right now that is on its way to destruction. It's not going to get better. There is no movement, there is no organization, there is no government. Nothing will make it better. It's only going to get worse. And God will destroy everything that's on this earth, including the men that are on it. He will destroy it. Is, is this happening um, near the end of the seven years? or this is In the middle of the seven the years, toward the end, absolutely. God, the Bible says that in those days, unless the Lord shortened the days, no flesh would survive. And it's not about, well, then they're going to hide in, in, the, in, the, in the caves and they're going to get the bomb shelters. They're going to make off. God says, if he didn't shorten the days, no flesh would survive. <clears throat> because at that pace, 
every man, every creature, every plant, everything would die. Because eventually, if he, God destroys the ecology, the environment, there is no oxygen. There is nothing. He begins to unravel and undo everything that is in the balance of ecology and in the ecosystem. He destroys it all. And then eventually every man dies. You can be in that bunker all you want. Eventually you will die. You cannot procreate. You can't go outside. You can't do it. And God find, destroys it. Men today in the army uh, or, the, or the military, they have, the Air Force has a bunker busters. These are 500-pound bombs that they're, they're dropping and they're penetrating into the earth where they have these bunkers and it's destroying them. So you can't hide. So if that's what man can do, imagine what God can do. God will reach in there and destroy them, plug them in, maybe a cave in. They're dead. Their oxygen's cut off. Whatever happens, they can't get any more fuel for the dinner. Whatever, how he wants to do it, he will destroy them. There is nothing. It's the Titanic all over the place, excuse me, all over again, when men said, well, even God couldn't sink this, and God sunk it, just to show them, don't you ever dare try me. Don't dare me, because I will. It's the modern-day Babel. It's the modern-day Babel. Uh, so that's where we'll end today. In chapter uh, 9, we'll start next week. And it goes into even more horrific things to come. I'll give you a foretaste. Here's a, here's a spoiler alert. It'll be so bad, it's going to get so bad, that men will want to die and commit suicide, and God will not let them. It'll be so bad that people will want to commit suicide, they will seek death, and death will flee from them. They will not be able to die and get away from it. That's how bad it's going to get. Um, but that's to come in chapter 9. And we're only in chapter 9. There's 20, 22 uh, chapters in this book. So, uh, again, uh, awesomely uh, horrendous for those that don't know God.